0: I am swamped now with clients facing early January deadlines, so I decided to end 2021 with one of our most popular shows of the year, my interview with the Kaiser Permanente Bernard J. Tyson School of Medicines, Senior Associate Dean for Admissions and Equity, Inclusion and Diversity, Dr. Lindia willis jacobo The Kaiser Permanente School has not yet graduated its first class, but with its tuition-free approach to med ed, dedication to social equity, and emphasis on small group learning, it has an acceptance rate of roughly 1%. Yes, I said it, 1%. And it is third on acceptance medical school selectivity index. It is very hard to get into. However, in this excellent and very popular interview, Dr. Jacobo lays out clearly what Kaiser Permanente is looking for. We're going to play the interview in a second. And I'd like to suggest that as we all put away or throw out our calendars from 2021 and turn to 2022, Um, Give me a second. Let me share just a couple of thoughts. When New Year's Day comes and goes, some of us ignore the milestone, but many of us look back and also look forward. Whether your 2021 was a good year or a bad one, I hope it was a good one, I also would hope that Mission Straight Talk listeners will muster their courage and determination, their positivity, and ability to plan to create a better year, a better future for themselves and the world. To paraphrase Stanford Graduate School of Business's motto, improve lives, improve organizations, and improve the world. Again, thank you for listening to the podcast. I wish you much success in this brand new, exciting year ahead. Now, the interview with Dr. Lindia Willis Jacobo of Kaiser Permanente Tyson School of Medicine.
1: Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Accepted's founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, Yes, I'm in! Confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your
0: dreams. Our guest today is Dr. Lyndia willis Jacobo, Senior Associate Dean for Admissions and Equity, Inclusion and Diversity at the Kaiser Permanente Bernard J. Tyson School of Medicine, which welcomed its first class in the summer of 2020 and in the midst of the pandemic. While the Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine may be new, Dr. Jacobo is not at all new to the field of med school admissions. She earned her MD at UCSD and served there as a professor of pediatrics from 1992 to 2019. For 22 of those years, she was also the Assistant Dean for Diversity and Community Partnerships and Director of the Program in Medical Education, Health Equity. Hello, Dr. Jacobo. Welcome to Admissions Straight Talk.
1: Hello, Linda. It's so good to be here with you again. Thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. Okay, can you give us an overview of the Kaiser Medical School curriculum, focusing on some more distinctive elements?
1: Absolutely happy to do that. And to your point, we just welcomed our inaugural class a year ago um, last July in the midst of a pandemic. We certainly did not anticipate that. But (laughs) I think in terms of um, some unique features of of the school, I I think perhaps the uh, most distinct one would be that we are a non lecture based school. So we perhaps are, if not one of the only ones, the only school whereby all of our learning takes place in small groups of eight because we welcomed 50 students there is there is one group um, of 10 uh students and so it is non-lecture based uh problem-based learning it's all integrated as you know many of our students um our you know prospective students may have read we've decided not to go with sort of typical uh, departments as there are at many schools but instead we do have three pillars our department of biomedical science our department of of um, uh, clinical science in our Department of Health System Science. And so all learning is integrated across all three pillars. The other uh, couple distinct features about our school is that we were really built on kind of the foundational principles of equity, inclusion, and diversity, which means that it is fully baked into the fabric of the school. We also are teaching anatomy in somewhat of a future facing forward thinking way. Um, We are not using, um, the students will not be or have not been dissecting cadavers, but instead we're leveraging technology so that you know anatomy is being taught by way of augmented and uh, virtual reality and then i'll just close by saying that our school has curricularized well-being so we have a pretty significant and robust um uh well-being curriculum it's called reach which stands for reflection education assessment coaching and uh, health and well-being so every student, every medical student is actually paired with a physician coach who is helping them along their journey in terms of developing their professional identity. So a couple distinct um, areas. Yeah, that I'd say so. Our school a little bit different.
0: So I was, you know, in preparing for the call, I saw the three pillars. I also saw that there are four threads kind of woven throughout the curriculum. And according to the website, they were biomedical. They were um, equity inclusion and diversity, health promotion, which I assume is the, the at least partially the coach program that you just mentioned, interprofessional collaboration and leadership. Can you kind of unpack that? And I know you said that the, the three pillars are throughout the four years. How do the threads and the the pillars come right. together?
1: That's uh, especially agreed. in an
0: integrated curriculum.
1: I think that's right. And to your point, what we have done, and they really are threads, meaning that it is threaded across all four years. It's also threaded across our three pillars that we've just described. So um, the equity, inclusion and diversity uh, thread, for example, that's sort of where students come together in somewhat of a didactic seminar style Uh, space. And they really unpack issues of of racism. So it's sort of where a lot of our anti-racism work happens. It's also where students think critically about biases and mitigating biases. In terms of advocacy and leadership, much of that is threaded through the health system science uh, uh, pillar or Uh, department, again, where students really learn and unpack the structural and social determinants of of health. And then health promotion, as you've uh, discussed, you know, some of that is woven into the REACH uh, curriculum. But in fact, we also have sort of um, these seminar or uh, sort of more didactic sessions where students think about how Uh, we engage with communities, and I'm going to use COVID-19 as an example, as we talk about vaccinations, for example, and how one would engage uh, uh, a community and patients in in that way, and then the interpersonal, uh, interprofessional collaboration uh, pillar, we are partnering uh, with Western's uh, School of Nursing and also USC's um, School of Pharmacy. So there is a lot happening. And again, it, it's sort of all moving parts throughout uh, the, the entirety of the four years that our students are with us.
0: Kaiser Permanente, the, the organization, the healthcare system has a tremendous focus on uh, prevention. Healthcare ma- maintenance, huh? health maintenance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think takes a systems approach to it. Is that part of the health system science or
1: it it really is. It, it really is, in fact, where our students are really thinking critically about root causes, right? Of you know, disease. It's where students learn that there are any number of environmental factors, of structural factors that do play a role, right? in whether patients and communities are able to remain well. So to your point, it has been wonderful, um, you know, being a school that is part of this larger uh, organization that really, has led the way and has been thinking um, about these issues for quite some time.
0: Right. Now, as obviously you've taken a distinct, Kaiser has taken a distinctive approach to medical education. What about the admissions process? What's distinctive about the admissions process?
1: Yeah. So we, we've also engaged in admissions in ways that are intentional. So again, I started by saying that equity, inclusion, and diversity are kind of foundational to the school. And that is exactly the lens through which we developed our admissions process. So we are holistic. And I know that's a word we hear uh, frequently across the board,
0: but it has multiple meanings to different people. It
1: has multiple meanings to multiple people, but (laughs) we in fact do every student who applies to our school really does have a chance, right? So we, ensure that we've structured the system or the process so that we are really broadening the lens through which we see every single student who applies to the school. So we take into account their lived experiences of which we know there are many, they're varied. We take into account any number of other attributes. And then of course, we do balance all of that against their academic metrics, namely GPA and MCAT. and. When we think about a holistic process, what that should mean uh, to applicants is that we are not setting minimum GPAs, minimum MCAT scores. We are not having a computer system that sort of does the filtering for us, right? We are laying eyes on on every single file that gets to us. And so we, there are any number of, of, of factors, right, that will play a role into whether a student, we are thinking more about students who are mission aligned.
0: Okay. And so I noted in MSAR on your side, I don't remember which right. one at the moment, that you were in 2020 received over 10,000 applications. I'm going to guess that in this application cycle, that number was significantly higher. Right. I, so you read or somebody reads and looks at every single one, primary it, and secondary?
1: We actually do. So just to unpack that piece a little bit, you are correct. In order to seat our 50 students, we did get over 10,000 applications. (laughs) uh... Yeah, it's quite a heavy lift. And I Mm -hmm. will say uh, we have a lot of file readers, file reviewers. Now, the over 10,000, that's the primary MCAS application. About 80 to 85% of, of those students will fill out a a secondary application, which is a school specific uh, application. So the number dwindles down a little bit. So ultimately think about 8,500 students did in fact uh, complete the secondary application for the school. And yes, we are reading files on a daily basis. We are distributing files to our various uh, file reviewers. And every file gets looked at and gets screened. It is a lot of work. It is quite a bit of um, human resources that are required uh, to do so. But we are fully committed to doing that.
0: All right. And what do you hope to learn in the secondary that you don't learn from the primary?
1: The primary application kind of introduces us right to the students. What the secondary application allows us to do is really look critically for mission alignment, and for that reason, every school's secondary application is a little bit different because mm-hmm. it it is really structured along um, the alongside the the specific mission of that school. So that's where we are really able to get a sense of whether. A, this is a student who knows anything about the school. Uh, we are, though, also able to discern whether the student seems to be aligned with, with, with what we have to offer here at the school.
0: You know, many times I, I hear from applicants, I read the school's mission statement, and yeah. they all seem the same.
1: Yeah. I think that's right. And one of the um, when I, when I go out to do recruitment and I meet with prospective applicants and, and students, I I do, I do encourage them in addition to reading the mission statement, kind of combing through the entirety of the website because to your point, I mean I think there are many, words that are going to look quite similar in every school's mission statement. The other piece, though, that I do encourage uh, students to do is I often refer to admissions offices as an underutilized resource. I always, always encourage our, uh, you know, students with whom I engage to really connect with admissions counselors. And if there are even admissions teams, right, we are always available to meet with uh, prospective applicants. And if there are any specific questions that folks are really interested in learning a little bit more about, then I I think that's where those deeper conversations can be had. I often will have students send me emails saying, hey, I see that Equity, inclusion, and diversity are part of your mission statement. What exactly does that mean? So reaching out is is also um, something I do encourage uh, prospective applicants to do.
0: Well, one question that you know you mentioned um, equity, inclusion, and diversity. Most people talk about it as diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm right. sure there's a reason for the distinction. So great. Right. Would would you mind sharing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and and you know I when I arrived I um it was EID equity inclusion diversity yeah. at my former institution it was equity diversity and inclusion but the 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 one area I will focus on uh in you know that sort of alphabet soup of three letters is the equity piece and the equity piece is so so important. And I feel that it's been the most overlooked piece of of diversity and inclusion. I mean, there was a time whereby we talked only about diversity, and then we added inclusion. And so people flip those letters, ID or DI. But the equity piece was really missing for a long, long time. And when one looks at what equity really suggests, it's sort of the recognition that everyone has a start in life at a different, place, right? And just ensuring that we are making the appropriate adjustments for that. So that's how I, I I don't know that the the ID or the DI in terms of how one um, flips them is as important as sort of that, the equity piece, at least as we see it as a school.
0: Of course, equity sometimes has as many interpretations as holistic review, but that's that's a different it question. Does. You know, that's it a does. different topic for a different conversation. I it think it
1: does. It absolutely does.
0: Right. Um, what can applicants to Kaiser Permanente, who are invited to interview, which again, going back to the the first class's number, was about seven hundred and eighteen people, right. what can they expect?
1: So we're. Planning on interviewing roughly the same amount this cycle. Now, last cycle, we pivoted to virtual mm. uh, interviews because of the pandemic. And, you know, with all of the uncertainty and the unknowns, although things are looking much brighter, I suppose, we have decided to um, continue on with a virtual process. So we uh, remained committed to a hybrid model. What that means is that the students will engage in both a multi, uh, multiple mini interview as well as a traditional interview. So the one thing we changed about, um, you know, when we had to pivot from in-person to virtual is we did decrease the number of stations because mm-hmm. again, it's all virtual. So we've had to make a few adjustments to ensure that we're thinking about Zoom fatigue and also thinking about ways of streamlining a process. We've learned a lot. Uh, from last cycle having been uh, virtual. And we also learned that we were able to successfully complete it. And so we're planning on doing it quite similarly to how we ran it last cycle.
0: Do you anticipate at some point returning to in-person interviews or offering the option of in-person interviews? I mean, I can understand this this year, you're just doing virtual, right? Right. This upcoming cycle. Um, But if things... If if we finally believe that the that COVID is under control, yeah. would you see yourself going back to in person or?
1: Yeah, we that is the plan. You know, we have a brand new building. We have uh, multiple, many interview suites that we built specifically for admissions interviews, and we are really eager to use them. And we are eager to bring our candidates back in person. There is no replacement for that. There were benefits to virtual engagement. I think one of which uh, was, you know, decreasing the cost. Um, for mm-hmm. students in terms of traveling out to schools and staying in hotels etc but yeah I think our plan if things progress and continue on in the ways that they have been the plan really is to return to a an in-person um and in, uh interview uh, process in 2022 the other thing I'll add is that we are we had to conduct second look weekend virtually as well this past spring and again, we are hopeful that we can conduct uh, those uh, that second look event in person in 2022 as well.
0: Okay. Um, One applicant told us that uh, you actually had over 20,000 applications this past cycle. Is that correct?
1: That is not correct. We didn't okay, good. Double. We increased by about eleven percent, so we had almost 12,000. all right. Yeah, okay, so not, all right. So the, the two
0: a, they got the yeah. two right, but it's in the wrong place. It's in the wrong place <laughs> it was almost twelve thousand, not all quite right. Yeah, okay, all right. Well, that's good to good to have that correct. Yeah. Um Even so, as I said, you got ten thousand four hundred seventy-eight applications uh-huh. at least uh-huh. in the primary. You say about. 8500 ended up completing the secondary. You then interviewed 718. So that's less than 10%. Yes. And you matriculated 50, which is again, less than 10%. Correct.
1: How,
0: how on earth do you winnow it down?
1: It's difficult, right? And I'll just say, that any, and this is something I say to every student with whom I engage who plans on applying to us mm-hmm. or to any medical school.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I would argue that any student who gets an interview really has an opportunity. So I always say to students, you know, think about the application process as kind of a marathon, almost an ultra marathon.
0: It is. Because you,
1: you know, at every step, you're just trying to get to the next step. And what I mean by that is you're trying to get a secondary application. You're trying, you're trying to get an interview. And I think of the interview really as where the door opens up. Uh, and because our interviews are also structured with mission alignment in mind, a lot of how students present themselves to us, right? How much do you know about the school? Or we just sort of, you know, another school on your list is the message that we get from you, that you really, really want to be part of the school and part of the community. And you know, it's, it, it's really interesting that uh, we can often tell just based on engaging with students, um, the students who are really, really interested in the school, right, and really appear to have mission aligned goals and values. Now, having said all that, and every school and every, you know, there are 155 schools in, in accredited schools in the, in the country and be granting schools. And what I will say to that is we are all also cognizant that there's talent tenfold over every single year. We know that, you know, 40% of all applicants get into med school, right? but the 60% who don't, there's a lot of talent there too, oh, yeah. So yeah. I say all of that.
0: Of to, course, many of yeah, them get in the following year, which exactly, proves a point. to be
1: encouraging, yeah. right? And to say to, to, to applicants, if you didn't make it the first year, don't be discouraged. Try again. And I've seen so many success stories upon the second try or the third try. So it, it requires our students to, to really reflect and dig deep and think about how important it is for them, right, ultimately to become physicians, because it, it's a difficult journey, and mm. it, it's, um, it's easy to get discouraged, but my message is don't be discouraged. Try again.
0: You know, Accepted um, works with all kinds of graduate school applicants, not just medical school applicants. Right. And there's no doubt in my mind that the medical mm-hmm. school application process is the most demanding. I think so. Yeah, it's no, I, comparison. I, I no comparison. There's absolutely no comparison.
1: Anything that compares. My daughter just graduated law school, and I remembered her application. It's a piece of
0: cake. It was Nothing a piece of cake. Compared by
1: comparison, yeah. In terms of the application process, right. Quite right. different. I agree.
0: I agree. Right. Right. I agree. Now, Kaiser, I know you you focus very much on mission alignment, uh-huh. and and that that's a, a major focus of of yours, but. I would I would suspect that you have a little bit of an additional, um, to call it an impediment, impediment or attraction in, in that regard, because you offer such such generous terms. There's no it's tuition free for the first five right. classes. I mean the first five graduating so classes worked. with right. a stipend.
1: Right.
0: So um, is that making? Do you think that makes it harder for you to d- discern that mission alignment? I think what it I think
1: you make an excellent point. I think what it allows us to do is really think critically as we're reading through applications. And mm-hmm. even as we're, even in the way we've designed our interview questions to sort of try to be discerning in that way, because I think you make a great point. I I am like every other school that offers, you know, tuition remission mm-hmm. and stipends. I, I do think it definitely is something that, you know, we, it's in the back of our minds when we're engaging with applicants and ensuring that folks are really interested in the school for what the school offers and not just the tuition remission. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with also taking that into account. Medical education is expensive. You know, the whole debt well, reporting um, was just released by the WAMC a few days ago, and it's pretty astonishing the kind of debt. Uh, medical students graduate with. So I think that every med student, um, you know, most med students would factor that into their decision making. So I think that is okay. But as we see it, we want folks who, yes, that's been factored in, but there are other aspects of the, the school, the curriculum that, that, that is equally attractive to them.
0: Wonderful. Great. Thank you. Does Kaiser Permanente have any plans to either waive the MCAT or go test optional?
1: We talked about that extensively last cycle, especially as there were cancellations um, by the WMC, and they did a great job in terms of catching up so that um, many, many, if not most applicants were in fact able to take the MCAT at least once. And one area that we discussed extensively was what that would do um, in terms of, again, when we're looking at candidates holistically. And what I mean by that is, you know, as we're looking at other metrics that is part of the holistic review system, that's sort of the third um, area that we assess, it would almost mean that students would almost have very little wiggle room in other areas. It Mm -hmm. would almost demand that students be exceptional in Every single in every single area, and when we think about equity, and I know this is a sort of um, a hot debate uh, topic, we didn't, we weren't completely convinced that waiving the MCAT or going MCAT optional at this point would have been entirely helpful um, to students in the ways in which we're thinking about our evaluation and assessment of students. But it's an ongoing conversation. You know, we've seen what's happened with the SAT across the country, certainly many of the California schools. It'll be interesting to see whether that sort of filters up into MCAT and, you know, there are all kinds of interesting things happening with oh, yeah. exams. So, uh, you know, I think the jury is out. For this cycle, we are still requiring um, that students
0: take the MCAT. You can I always choose to essentially waive it if you feel it's appropriate.
1: That's exactly right. And it's certainly, you know, we continue to study what is happening um, nationally with MCAT, you know, the WMC has their MCAT validity research group going. So we're always sort of looking at their outcomes and what different MCAT scores mean, etc.
0: Right, right. Mm -hmm. You know, um, business school, there's there's a growing Trend to waive uh-huh. either the GMAT or the GRE, and then test. You know, Great. to either to issue waivers oh, okay. or to go test optional. So the thing about waivers is it's it basically goes to the applicant who can show academic ability in other ways. So right. It's, right. you know, if you don't need the test, to admit them, and then they then, waive it. That's fine. That, <laughs> that, but
1: right, yeah. and how is that really beneficial? And if so right exactly so, right. yeah
0: yeah it's a kind of interesting thing mm-hmm. one of the things i know drives applicants nuts it's not so mm-hmm. much this time of year it's it's more like the fall right, S- silence. right. silence silence they don't nothing. hear anything nothing. nothing crickets nothing right how do you view letters of intent or correspondence from Applicants for whom the silence is driving them nuts, or who are right. interviewed, or who are waitlisted. I assume you have a waitlist.
1: We do have a waitlist. We, yeah. we have uh, this past year, as we did the, the first year, had a very robust waitlist, and the silence is tough from an applicant's perspective. And we by the get, way, I
0: love the timeline you have on your website. Yeah,
1: we've tried to at least remain semi engaged in that, in that way. You know, one area that we're toying with for this cycle is just to send sort of these updates, I mean, even if we're saying, by the way, you're still under review or um, XYZ, that we, we are very cognizant that the silence can be deafening to applicants. And, you know, we have wonderful admissions counselors. They try to remain engaged when uh, candidates engage with them. One of the things we started this past year, we are now doing weekly office hours. And so, it's interesting in that we often will have uh, folks who are in the pool who will come to office hours to say what's going on with my application so uh, (laughs) but you know we we do try to remain engaged as much as possible when uh, when candidates send us letters of intent or you know letters suggesting um, you know interest in the school we do just attach that to the file and it actually ends up being helpful especially if those are the same candidates that are on the wait list, because as we're sifting through, we're often looking again, always keeping in mind mission alignment, et cetera. But we also want folks who really are saying we want to be at your school.
0: Sure. I would assume updates, relevant updates, yeah, not, not, that, right. not, trivial updates, right, meaningful updates.
1: Exactly
0: right. right. Mm-hmm. All right. How does Kaiser view applicants who've dealt with emotional illness?
1: We, you know, as I sh- shared earlier, um, we are our school has a pretty significant focus on well-being. So, in fact, when candidates write about, uh, you know, these issues on their application, it, it, you know, we read them with, I think, through the lens of developing a deeper understanding of the of the candidate, but also getting a sense of you know, how, how they sort of approached that, um, that particular challenge, and, you know, what they've learned about themselves in that process. So, you know, we, it it is in no way, um, used negatively against uh, candidates, we actually embrace that. And there's something about that level of transparency and vulnerability that, for us is a, a definite plus. And you know, not only do applicants write about it, but often when they come out to interview, they'll talk about these issues. Mm-hmm. And again, I think for us and the the kind of school that we are, displaying that level of vulnerability is always going to be a positive thing.
0: All right. And how does Kaiser view applicants, a different area entirely, how does Kaiser view applicants who have an academic infraction or perhaps a criminal issue on their record?
1: Right, so there are two things that can show up on the, um, on the application. One is kind of the institutional action. Right. Again, when we're reading through those, now there are schools, as you may know, who filter all those out, we don't. We look at them, we read them. And what we're really trying to understand from the applicant is A, what happened, B, was there accountability, and yes. C, what you know, did you learn as a result of? So that's the context in which we're reading that. In terms of things like felonies, et cetera, I think much of it is going to depend on what is on there, but we, th- you know, we read through those. There's no, you know, filtering out people who've had this done as, um, you know, I think many applicants are aware that part of most schools uh, post-admissions, or actually as they get admitted to schools, m- many of the post-admissions requirements is in fact a background check. So it is nice if, There's something on the application and that it matches what (laughs) may be on the background check. I think the issue that could arise is is there a significant discrepancy right because again it really comes back to just transparency and truthfulness um, on the part of the applicant but we are a school um, that I would like to believe grants a lot of grace
0: (laughs) okay would would distance in time from the academic uh act of the you know infraction or action um or from the criminal event the conviction if it was a conviction Mm -hmm. would that play a role
1: absolutely and um it's really that's such a great question because that's often part of the journey and sometimes we'll see this in non-traditional students you know students who've been away from an academic setting or environment for a decade or eight years and they actually may write about this and it ends up being just part of the journey often part of what informed their decision to pursue medicine in the first place so that absolutely matters
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice would you have for applicants interested in applying to Kaiser Permanente in this 2021-2022 uh, application cycle? I mean, it's now mid-June. Right. Um, your show is going to air, I think, the very end of June, beginning of, no, it's the beginning of July, actually, right, right. after July Fourth. Right. Are they late? Is it too late yeah. for them? Uh,
1: Great question. So, my I always, always, always encourage you to apply early. You're not right. yet late. We will get applications. You know, this cycle opened up on May 27th. Right. Um, we will get applications on June 25th. Um, file reviews will begin, as you pointed out, sometime in early July. And they're not late. I do encourage applicants, though, to get those primary applications out by no later than the end of July. Obviously, some will be a little bit later. And the main reason for that is there is sort of this four to six weeks verification process mm-hmm. that AMC has to go through. And so I point out to um, applicants that until that is completed, you know, you wouldn't yet be ready to get your secondary application. So, you know, every week past the last week of July will take you further along in the, in the um, application cycle. The other important thing is we talk a lot about how competitive medical school is. And I do try to also um, highlight for applicants that part of the reason it is so competitive, A, is there are on a relative scale, right, enough slots for all the talent, um, you know, all the talented folks who apply to medical school. But the other big issue is schools run out of interview slots. So even if you are an amazing candidate in every single way. If you've applied, if your primary goes out in September, chances are you're not getting a completed application till sometime in maybe mid to late October. So you, you're already taking yourself sort of out of that, running for that cycle, not because you're not amazing, but because the interview slots are filling up.
0: 100%. Thank you, it's a great answer. Absolutely. What about those planning to apply in future years? In other words, they're not planning to apply this cycle. Mm -hmm. They're planning to apply for the 2023 uh, matriculating class or even the 2024 matriculating class. Mm -hmm. What should they be doing?
1: A couple of things I always, always highlight. One is ensure that you're meeting with your pre-health advisors um, at your home institutions or your mentors if you are someone who has been out of school for a while. And part of meeting with um, your pre-health advisors and mentors is ensuring that you are kind of getting yourself ready for med school. And part of knowing when to apply is is sort of having that overall readiness for that. The other thing I would encourage students to do is try to attend as many uh, pre-health events as you can. WMC has now kind of pivoted to about two uh, big virtual fairs every year. It, it tends to have a ton of schools across the country who are fully engaged in those. So that's going to be important. Uh, the other piece is, you know, try to really begin to think about what doctoring means to you and kind of creating kind of your own list of values. And, you know, with that, beginning to look through the MSAR. Um, and just sort of perusing schools. You have a few years um, uh, to do so. Try to engage at, in office hours at different schools. If there are, I'll just pitch hours. Um, <laughs> if you're interested in our school, You know, we do have weekly Wednesday office hours. So get into those uh, virtual spaces where there are counselors and other folks who will actually have sound advice, right? <laughs> Um, I, I don't know how popular my next comment would be, but stay out of studentdoctor.net. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, try to really get a lot of your more data-driven questions answered through the AMC or directly um, through you know, different admissions offices. So that would mm. be kind of my um, sort of advice both for folks who are soon going to apply, but also those who may be a couple years out from applying
0: speaking of studentdoctor.net i um was in that forum a Mm -hmm. couple of weeks ago and there was a hot and heavy discussion about shadowing
1: okay got it
0: okay and there were two topics one was is it required yeah that that pre-meds have shadowing before they be accepted and what about virtual shadowing shadowing is that Mm -hmm. acceptable Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so how how would again and they were it was being very hotly debated.
1: Yeah. And so that, uh, you know, shadowing is almost, and I say this very cautiously, um, it's almost falling by the wayside for a number of reasons. One is that many physicians have just gotten so, so busy, especially, you know, it's almost as if the world has changed in the last year.
0: It has. Right.
1: So the whole shadowing in person was almost a thing of the past during the pandemic. And it's only now that students are perhaps being, you know, reintroduced and allowed to enter into the um, clinical spaces with uh, physicians. The other thing, though, and this preceded the pandemic, um, that a lot of us in the admissions community, it's a conversation we've been having is, how much information, A, do we get about a student because they've shadowed a doctor, and how much, how beneficial has shadowing been to any individual uh, student? And, you know, I think it's variable i think there are students who've had more active engagement during shadowing and then there are those who just literally shadow and one of the experiences that i've encouraged students to engage in more than more than shadowing or alongside shadowing is is scribing and i think that's a much more active way of a getting a sense of what doctors really do you get a sense of kind of terminology and you get the opportunity to really observe that doctor-patient um, interaction in ways that you are almost fully engaged in. So there's nothing particularly wrong with shadowing, but, you know, students may think that they're getting a, a sort of ton of brand new points because they've, they've shadowed. And it's, it's not necessarily viewed as robust an experience as perhaps it had been five, seven years ago. Right. And and because, you know, we've been um, in primarily a virtual world in the last year, a lot of students, in fact, have been doing kind of virtual scribing and those sorts of things. All
0: right. Thank you. That's a great answer. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it was it was very interesting that that particular discussion. What would you have liked me to ask you?
1: So I guess how we've done this year in light of the pandemic. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Go for it. That's that's kind of basic.
1: (laughs) I will say that we we were, uh, I think, frankly, uh, given all of the sort of uh, challenges with COVID 19, et cetera, I feel that we were able to pivot pretty seamlessly because of how our curriculum is structured, um, times when we've had to either have hybrid engagement or all virtual engagement. So we did quite well. We had two unrelated uh, uh, COVID-19 positive folks at the school and no one else um, uh, became positive. And again, we do not think there was any connection um, in those two cases. And we ended up going virtual after the holidays, in light of the cases rising in LA County. Right, sure. we resumed, I believe it was March. Resumed in person. We did learn that though we can do it virtual uh, using a virtual platform, in person is a lot more effectual. Um, it, though we're all masked and distanced, though as you know that's changing over time, we have still remain masked and in spite of June 15th being a couple of days ago in California opening up, Um, but we we learned that. We learned that we really enjoy being in person more than virtual. We were able to get instruction done. We were able to do it um, without skipping a beat but even the students endorsed preferring to be in-person. So we have a wonderful uh, team. We have a wonderful group who are sort of behind us constantly keeping the the, the spaces sanitized. Um, Our students have been quite wonderful in terms of keeping their masks on, remaining distanced in the classrooms. Because we only had 50 students this year, we were able to utilize just about every room in in the school so we do have enough space because we're we're in fact um, built out to to house right um about 200 students so it's been good it's all in all it's been good it's been as challenging as you can imagine building the the plane and flying it all at the at the same time in the midst of a global pandemic but it's been an amazing amazing year our students will be finished on uh july 2nd and we will you'll have m2s there.
0: you'll have yeah. m2s by the time this show m2s airs mm-hmm.
1: in uh, mid mid july so mm-hmm. getting all ready for that so That's great yeah.
0: mm-hmm. are there since you brought up you I, i'm i again i'm embarrassed i didn't ask the question oh no, worries. worry but, <laughs> but um are there are there any adaptations to to covid that you think you're going to keep around
1: so I, you know, I do believe that, um, you know, it we're again still in flux uh, with this whole thing. It we're we're still wondering, you know, I think we're going to be able to do away with distancing. I suspect okay. we're going to have to remain masked for a little bit longer. I mean, one of the areas we're critically looking at is, you know, who not who's vaccinated. I mean, that's really a choice, but. Um, and for that reason, I think we'll remain masked. That's one of the areas that we are currently in conversations about. So
0: Now,, one of the things I remember from last year is that the there's very there's a significant and early clinical exposure. Were your students able to maintain that clinical, I guess say they had to be vaccinated.
1: They were, and right, and and they had to be vaccinated. So again, we did have a a little bit of a break from uh, the students going out to their longitudinal integrated clerkships after the holiday. They were able to engage in in March. And so that um, definitely had, you know, we had to sort of, um, that was cut for a little bit. And the other area that we did have a few challenges um, with, in light of the pandemic, were the service learning opportunities. And so I know that our um, our service learning leads and others are, um, you know, exploring options, other options here and there. But but even that has gone quite well.
0: Great, mm-hmm. Dr. Willie Jacobo, thank you so much for your your answers and your questions, because your question was was very good. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed learning about Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine. Now that it's, now that it's a reality and not just a, a hypothetical, it's, it's a still new program, but it's fascinating. I'm sure that you've piqued listeners' interest. Where can they learn more about uh, the Kaiser Permanente Tyson Medical School?
1: Great. Thank you so much also for having me, Linda. So um, students can learn more about us at medschool.kp.org. And I think our website is organized in ways that they can sort of navigate any number of pillars and departments and that sort of thing. So um, we definitely welcome um, you know uh, that level of engagement. And it was wonderful uh, being with you again, Linda. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You're most welcome. Thank you. Most welcome. And thank you again for coming. Listener, you'll find links to the Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine, as well as related resources and podcasts, including the previous interview with doctor Willie Jacobo, in the show notes at accepta.com slash 424. Quick reminder, don't miss how to create successful secondary applications. The free webinar taking place on July 8th at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. I'll be, I'll be delivering that webinar. Save your spot at except.com slash 424webinar. Listener, thank you too for tuning into this, our 424th episode. If you found this show helpful, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcatcher you prefer. So you don't miss anything, subscribe. You can find subscribe links at, again, except.com slash 424. This is Admission Straight Talk, produced by Accepted, and I'm your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week.